honeypot me home. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensch with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. My own brother, sister. Unfurl your magical flying yoga mats because we have untested spiritual shenanigans coming your way this hour. That's what you were looking to hear, right? (laughs) It's Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey here. First, we're going to discuss a method for understanding the karmic reasons for mundane events. So we're going to go into past lives on that one. And then that's followed by the mystical advice that will solve any problem you're having right now. So go ahead, get all your sorrows nice and bundled up together so we can take care of them all at once. And then we're going to be talking to Curtis Childs. He's the host of the metaphysical YouTube sensation Swedenborg in Life, which can be found on the Off the Left Eye channel on YouTube. He's a hero of mine because of what he does. You're going to love him. He's great. Adam, how you doing? Hello. Great. How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing good. So. Cool. Yeah, you had a good week. Anything mystical happened to you this week? Really, really good week. Good. Yeah, uh, a lot of mystical stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lots of cool uh, prayer and meditation moments, and uh, some l- learning some new things, and um, some cool new experiences. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, doing good. Uh, I let me see mysticism. I mean, I'm always going interdimensional a little bit. Yeah. And always something new every day. Cool. Can't talk about it every day, or nobody will let me talk anymore. So that's true. I, I totally feel you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> amazing D, Delois. Yes, sir. Anything magical happened to you this week? Um, I woke up this morning. That's there magical. you go. Yes. that is very magical. It is yeah. very magical. Very spiritual <laughs> in and of itself. It's true. Indeed. I want to uh, share something I found with y'all today. Uh, I just read this a couple days ago. It's called an exercise for a karmic insight, and it's a little book. It's really just a uh, a lecture by Rudolf Steiner. And in it, he discusses a method for how one might find the past life karmic reason for why even the most mundane thing occurs to a person. Cool. So I'm going to kind of just fill you in. Uh, uh, I'm going to fill you in on what um, he said. So basically, if something happened to you, you had some cereal this morning, something unremarkable, you could actually uh, mock that up in your mind, and by putting the pieces together uh, and, and rebuilding it in your mind, uh, you actually are creating an image that your astral body, which is your soul, can uh, work with when you go to sleep that very next night. And while you're sleeping, the angels in your astral body will actually... Uh, rework the image so they'll add to it they'll reform it they'll contribute to it very cool so the idea is when you wake up the next morning you're presented with another form of the image and then uh by the next night your etheric body is working on it and by the night after that it's being impressed into your physical body the third the third day now steiner explains that this method of mocking up Mocking up this image and uh, letting it approach you, it may take several attempts. Uh, mm. But once, once you've got it working, you'll find that by the third day, you'll be presented with 
an image, an objective static image that's been uh, refined through the spiritual world of your original image of what happened in this life. And it turns into something you don't recognize. And we also find ourselves locked into that image. We feel bound or chained to it. And so what he explains is that at that moment, if we move from this image that we feel stuck in, chained to, that we, and we don't understand it, and we move from that into the initial image that we formed three days prior, we'll actually have a, an epiphany, and we'll remember wow. that this new image is actually an image of something that happened to us in a past life, and it is the cause for the original scene that we mocked up. And wow. so we can say, oh, I had my cereal box fall off the table because of something I did, you know, 1,500 years ago or something, <laughs> Wow, you know, just the smallest thing. Interesting. So anyway, this is just uh, one lecture. I'm going to start working on these processes, and I'll give you updates. And That's really cool. Let you know some past life insights. Do you think that there's a correlation um, between the references to the to the third day and its significance uh, biblically like example like Jesus you know obviously um after the crucifixion he is he he rises he's resurrected on the third day mm. you think there's a correlation there between think, Steiner's exercise and I I would never put it past any of these things it seems like anytime there's a rhythm yeah. anytime there's a story there's an allegory there's a connection yeah yeah, that just hit me. You know, it's That's it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny because it's it's similar to the name of uh, our musical collective to three day flight. You know, it's the third day that we get flight, and and it's cool to see that happening. It's it's the rhythm, man. It's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Three days is a significant period of time, and in the uh, ancient initiation techniques too. You know, they'd put yeah. somebody into a tomb or into you know a coma state for three days and three nights okay while they go through a spiritual initiation now this is thousands of years ago right. what they would do in the pyramids and things like that yeah and in that way the hierophants would actually initiate people in the spiritual realms culminating according to steiner in the uh uh the phrase by the initiate oh my god how thou has glorified me this mm. is the final thing they come out when they wake up and they just they feel so glorified because of what they just experienced. Amazing. And they go on enlightened initiates. Yeah. Uh, so I told you to get all your woes together. Make sure you got them all, all the pressing sadness and everything, because I'm going to give you two silver bullets for taking care of those, okay? And uh, you've heard them before, so, you know, you lower your expectations, but open your mind. <laughs> the first is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Mm. You know, there's a good chance that uh, a lot of the uh, problems that are coming into your life are a result of uh, not kingdom first thinking. Yeah. As they're calling it these days, kingdom first. I like that. Mm -hmm. And the other piece of advice is, you know, Jesus said, you'll fulfill the law and the prophets if you do this. Love God and love one another uh, as yourselves. So there's a lot of problems which, you know, through the release of our pride, through our own humility, we can solve simply by following either one of these, you know, mm -hmm. put your attention on where you're going when you die. Don't worry about the things of the world, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. And in that way, uh, resolve your own egoistic hurts and pains that are being unfulfilled. Those become non-issues at that point. Nice. I like that. It's great advice. Yeah. Hopefully it fixes all your problems in life. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, 
next thing we are going to talk to Curtis Childs uh, here in, in just a moment. And uh, before we talk to him, I just want to throw a little subject into your all's heads. It's a concept that Rudolf Steiner calls uh, threefolding. He's discussing something called the threefold social order. And in it, he's discussing the spiritual uh, impact uh, on the individual life, the spiritual life, on the... Uh, Rights political life, which is talking about civic laws, we're talking about politics, and mm -hmm. how they're aimed at the uh, human, at the individual, as opposed to serving their own purposes for growing a, you know, a giant government that's run by, you know, zombies or something. <laughs> this is a people first sort of approach. Right. And then, right. Uh, and then the e economic approach. And I think key to his lessons there is you're going to work, you're working for a paycheck. What is the, uh, what is uh, your byproduct to the world? Are you given this product? Is this product helping people? Does this product not fulfill a need in the world? You know, what you do is more important than just the paycheck that you're getting for it. And if we all can work with a human first approach, what is this given to the people? How is this taking care of people? We could actually survive, but because money has become more important, uh, the political system is reared in that direction, or vice versa, you know. Yeah. We need an individual uh, revival. So anyway, we'll talk about that next week, because that's a very loaded subject. Meanwhile, we do have Curtis Childs on the line. Curtis Childs uh, is the host of a show called Swedenborg and Life, as I mentioned, located on Off the Left Eye. Oh. And before we do that, uh, Curtis, please hang on because I want to get this hat off my head. Okay. Uh oh. Let me address the hat that I have uh -oh. in my head right now. <laughs> I'll ask you a quick question. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Isn't that right, Adam? It does indeed, yes. But then it also says in the New Testament that if a man prays with his head covered, it's a shame to him. Uh. So I'm thinking, how can I both pray without ceasing? And never really put on a hat since it shames my head. <laughs> so with that said, I'm taking off the hat, folks. Interesting. Don't judge Adam. <laughs> you, you don't want me to take my hat off. You, you will judge my Einstein here today. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, there's an interesting thing about that. I, I know that you have to have had this experience, too, because we both traveled to Jerusalem. But when we did, have you noticed that, um, that in Jerusalem, when they go into a holy place, they actually... I know cover their heads i know but see right? they're jewish right. uh, and this is new testament <laughs> stuff we're talking about yeah you're right, so you're right. i hook. already know <laughs> i let them off the hook <laughs> that was fun though hey curtis are you there curtis childs yes that's right all right it's good to talk to you uh we're on a show called spiritual realities we're talking about spiritual realities your show is about spiritual realities all you do is talk about Swedenborg and the uh, awesome revelations that he shared with the world. I have to say, it's inspired me for many, many years. Your sense of humor is amazing. And everybody out there should really look up Swedenborg and Life on YouTube and watch Curtis Childs go at it. Curtis. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for the vote of confidence, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so do you have right off the top of your head you know we talked briefly um we're going to go in any which direction i, I yeah. know swedenborg spends much of his time talking about angels the conversations that he had with angels 
their daily habits and their lifestyle and things like that. But after all these years, what would you say is probably the most uh, astonishing thing that you've learned about the life of angels, according to Swedenborg? Sure, man. I, I'm happy to fill that in. I do want to say before we go there, um, like a visor. I'm thinking about your your head covering problem. Oh yeah, if you do like one of those golf visors. Yes, you would you would go like do the hat thing, but also have the head uncovered. So I don't know if those are going to make clever. A but thank you for that. But there you go, man. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> the funny thing is, um, like whenever I'm hearing anything, all I can think about is how Swedenborg's worldview ties into it. So I was listening to the the beginning of your show. It was awesome, and uh, you know that quote, uh, you know, speaky first. That the that he wrote that quote. Uh, in the opening page of his first book he ever published in his theological period. And really, you could look at the rest of all of his work as an explanation of how you do that. Like, how do you seek first the kingdom of God? And that includes, the funny thing is, so Swedenborg, he had this whole—he had these trips, you know, where he was able to—it seemed like he was able to lucidly have out-of-body spiritual experiences on command and, and continually, that he had a period—you think of— um, What's who's the most famous scientist today? Would it be maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson, somebody sure. like that? Yeah. The Swedenborg phenomena was like think if Neil deGrasse Tyson suddenly came out in the press tomorrow and said, "I've begun having these spiritual visions, and I'm going to actually switch from writing about science and you know being at the planetarium to to full on describing what." what the rest of reality is, you know, beyond the physical world. That was, Swedenborg was this, this major celebrity at the time for his scientific achievements, but he went in and started talking all about how to live and what's, what's the cause of the root stuff in life, like you're talking about the cereal box, why did it fall off the table? And people were most intrigued by that he was saying, oh yeah, by the way, I visited heaven and I visited hell. And this is what what's you know actually in the the life after death. And the most fascinating thing to me about angels is he'll he'll describe angels, which he doesn't just talk about how they are or what they look like, but he talks about how they think, and actually gives you the means by which you can start developing the same sort of mindset that an angel has. And I feel like when I try to put it into practice. That's what I'm doing, and these very tangible steps. So, okay, how do I'm in this this world? How do I process what comes across my uh, my desk, you know, day to day? And how do I, like you're saying, human centered? How do you look to in everything you're doing, your occupation, your use in the world? How am I going to have this be something that contributes to the common good? And knowing that that is our sort of uh, initial, uh, uh, you know, facsimile for how angels are approaching life. So the most, to me, the most striking thing about his description is that there's a tangible way to, to emulate that lifestyle. Yes, that, that's a good point, is he's given you all these very practical, tangible sort of aspects. I mean, tangible is the wrong word, but, uh, and yeah, you can ap apply it and it'll get you into that zone. Uh, Swedenborg talks about the, uh, thoughts the thought life even I, I remember one of his stories he's sitting there he's going to sleep getting ready to dream and two angels are actually having a conversation next to him and that influences dream life yes so think about the way that systems influence the the physical reality that we have around us so i like right now i'm i'm talking to you you know through a phone and you guys have your 
studio set up there and there's uh, the, the kind of clothes we're wearing. Even the, the way we think about life, all this is based on networks that are around us. You know, you think about all the uh, factories and designers and everything that went into the electronics that we have and all of the um, the culture that we're in, you know, the, the, the thought of the day that we are influenced hugely by what we hear on the radio. I mean, right now, people listening to this show are being influenced by what we're put out there. So we're we're in this big network as far as the, the world around us that we experience and how we think and feel in Swedenborg said that there is an extension of that network, that actually consciousness, where it's not that the whole rest of the world is connected, but our consciousness is an isolated thing, that actually the stuff we experience day to day, thoughts and feelings, are influenced not just by other people that we meet and interact with, but directly through the spiritual world, that it's like a continuum of consciousness comes out of the divine through the spiritual world into us. And he gave these uh, amazingly specific and like bizarre, but yet when you hear them, you think, okay, that, that, I could see how that could fit in with the rest of life. Right. Descriptions of how that works. And so, yeah, he, he was saying that there's a, there's a thing that's called correspondences. And that is basically the spiritual world communicating with the physical world in a language that can understand. And if you think about trying to tell a, kid about like a like a two-year-old or a three-year-old about the stock market they're just not going to have the concepts to grasp that but you try to you know make up some story or some analogy in the language of things they do understand like what if this toy all the other toys wanted this toy instead of this toy that's Hmm. kind of what correspondences are right is that that's the um oh and yeah it relates to you guys were talking about three days you know, and that, that this this is a time period, but it seems to signify something more. That it right. signifies a completeness, and that the the, the spiritual world Swedenborg was describing is it's outside of time and space. So they don't have the same twenty four hour periods that we do. But yet, what they mean when they say three days is is something that that signifies totality or completeness. But we can understand because we know what a day is, so it helps us hold that. Anyway, uh, so he was seeing this in action because. He was getting ready to sleep, and at that time he was in his, yeah, his spiritual eyes, as he said, it had been opened, and he was aware of all the spiritual influence that we only become aware of in its effects, but he could see the causes of it. And he was hearing these angels, and they were having a conversation, and everything that they talked about showed up in his dream. Mm. But it wasn't that he, it was their direct words. It was that what they talked about showed up in correspondences in the things that were in his mind. So, for example, the example he gives is they were having a conversation about a certain superficial kind of mindset that is more focused, like you were mentioning before, on financial reward and your own place in the hierarchy of the world rather than how you can better serve uh, the human race through your actions. So, because they were talking about that, a person that he knew from his regular life that that he believed had that kind of mindset showed up in his dream. You ever heard a dream and you're like, why was this person mm-hmm. in my dream? Well, oh, yeah. he was saying that, that that's because that was his mind being, reacting to their spiritual content with his physical ideas. So somebody else could have heard those same angels talking in their dream, and they would have had their own imagery. It would have been telling the same story, but through the things that mattered to them. So does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. So, uh, I thank you for sharing that. Uh, another related uh, tale, um, and I don't know why I'm just prompting you to tell stories I could tell on my own, but <laughs> you just tell them so much better. 
um, <laughs> is the idea of communities in heaven and hell. And I really like this idea because um, it fills in a lot of blanks. We die and we're oriented into the spiritual world. And then we are sent off to find our place uh, in the communities of heaven or the communities of hell, depending on our loves. Yeah. Tell us about it. And the, the fascinating thing is Swedenborg, uh, he talks about an a afterlife where there's heaven and hell. But there's, there's been sort of a, a traditional view of, oh, man, if I, if I go to the afterlife, uh, you get either you know, raised up into heaven or thrown into hell against your will. But really, what he's saying is that you go where the thing that you love is. Mm. And communities there, that in the spiritual world, uh, you, could, you could call the spiritual world the psychological world. Because it, the main difference between it, as I understand it, and the world that we're in right now is the, the physical world that we inhabit, it's dicta- the nature of it is dictated by physical laws. That physical things are what really shape everything. Meaning, why am I you know, staying in my chair rather than going somewhere? It's because gravity. Gravity is what matters most. You know, mass, electromagnetism, <laughs> magnetism, all that is what you know, makes things the way they are. But in the spiritual world, it's what is love and wisdom. What you, what, what conscious beings, what people love and care about, their motivations, and what they think about and believe, those have as much of an impact. So, love is takes approximate place to gravity in the spiritual world. So, what you love, and what I mean, what you love is what what you care about, what your goal is, what you're really trying to do in each of your actions that pulls you towards one of these communities. And it could be that, mm. let's say, I, I am completely obsessed with myself, right? And that what I'm trying to do is, in any conversation I get into, let's say I'm talking on the radio to you guys right now, and all I'm caring about is, how, how can I sound like I'm the wisest guy in the room? How can I make sure everyone thinks I'm awesome? What, <laughs> what can I do? Um, you know, I'm, I'm giving out information, but really what I, you know, what's behind it is myself. So if, I, if that was really what I based my life around, I get into the spiritual world, and I would go be gravitated toward a, toward a community of people that all love themselves in the same way that I love myself. And you could see how that could be a bit of a hell if everybody's trying to be the best all the time. So mm. you have these central loves, and, and not only that, but the, the loves that are good, which it's not that you can't have any affection for yourself, and it, it's impossible not to have any trace of ego. With Swedenborg, it's really about prioritizing. It's that you're trying, the, the goal is to try to get it so that uh, the most important thing, which is I love the, example, the, the phrasing you put around it, which is people-centered, that when I'm thinking about my impact and what, what, I, what my motivation is for doing the daily things I do, if, if the greatest good is that I'm going to try to be useful and helpful, that is the soul of heaven. That heaven is this giant uh, grouping of all kinds of people who want to help in different ways. He actually says that it, it, they orga, it orga, it's organized a lot like the human body. If you think about the human body as a model of the ultimate in cooperation and in sort of selfless interdependence, you think about the liver, you know, liver cell, all it's doing is purifying, you know, and that's, that's its function, and that's it's used to like what I'm what I'm going to put my ATP and my energy into is making the body healthy through this purifying of this thing. So I'm performing some use, and in this, at the same time, I'm getting everything I need from all these other communities that are doing what they need 
to make the body healthy. So you have the heart pumping the blood, you have the lungs taking in oxygen, you have the muscles you know, for locomotion and everything. Each one of those giving everything they have to the common good and receiving everything that they need, that is a picture of heaven. So Swedenborg even goes so far as to you know, talk about the communities of heaven as they correspond to the body. So you have some people in heaven who what they love is to think and understand things and figure things out, you know, and that would be like the brain in the body and so on and so on. So you've got these communities, but even the communities are organized in a giant community as well. Awesome. It's it, beautiful. Yeah, I think so, it hit, hit on, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just, I was just like, yeah, I know it is, it is pretty beautiful. That's, that's, this is what keeps me so entranced with Swedenborg's material and, and just sitting there talking for a million hours on YouTube about it. <laughs> and you've done a great job, you and your team of animators and producers and everything, because it's got a lot of production value in it and it's uh, taught a lot of people a lot of things. I think one of the... For sure. I, yeah, I, sorry, sorry to, to interrupt, but I just want to say, yeah, I, I work with a, a really great team and uh, to tons of credit to them for everything that, that we've had in, in terms of success and that we're trying to, you know, do the ideas justice by, by working in the, the best sort of medium that we can. Awesome. Yeah, and you're doing a great job. Um, you touched on usefulness, and I think it's, a, it's worthwhile to mention that because we think about, well, when we die, we're going to basically become useless. We're going to be in a cloud. We're going to have our harp or whatever, and uh, we're going to laze about. But the reality is everybody gets a job. Everybody's doing something. People have yeah. lives, they have schedules, they have places to be, they have activities that they do. Um, Just, yeah, go ahead. Uh, in, in connection with that, uh, I wanted to see if you would talk a little bit about the heavenly expectations that uh, newly uh, dead people uh, have when they move over to the other side and how Swedenborg saw them uh, being re-educated. <laughs> it's not... It's not a totalitarian system there. It's not that, hey, everybody think <laughs> like this, and if you don't follow the, the pattern, you know, you, we're, there's going to be immediate consequences. There's a, so much uh, that Swedenborg describes of, oh, that, that's what you want? Okay, go for it. And hopefully eventually you see what, what the truth is. He has this fascinating section. He opens uh, his book, um, Amor, Can You Yell Us? Or, or Can You Do Love With? where he has sees these groups of people who had what he claims are inaccurate ideas of what heaven is and what heavenly happiness is. Mm. And there's there's some people, and a lot of these were informed heavily by the, the religious climate of Swedenborg's day. You know, there's a lot of ideas, like you were mentioning, of we're going to sit around on a, on a cloud with a harp. And so there's a lot of people who assume that that's what the afterlife consisted in. One of Swedenborg's primary points is that we're, we, we're, we take our life with us. If you think about the way that life is here, this is the starting point for eternal life. They're not totally different. So just think about what a life of idleness, permanent idleness, would be like. Would that ever – is there any way that could not get boring eventually? You think that there's nobody – you think about the people who are the richest people in the world, who get to have the best house on the best cliff overlooking the nicest water in the world, that it's not like you hear about people just disappearing into a sea of joy because they have this amazing life. You, celebrities of every kind, rich people, contentment, contentment does not come uh, automatically with having you know, something nice. 
there's there's a, there's boredom that can set in anywhere. So there was people who thought, hey, I, if I go to heaven, it's going to be great. We're going to feast all the time. It's going to be this amazing banquet forever. And so Swedenborg saw them. They, you know, the angels that were there were like, okay, sure. Here you go. You know, have at it, and, and I hope you have a, a great heaven. And the same thing with people who thought heaven was eternal, uh, an eternal church service. Like, you know, right. we're going to pray and sing songs to glorify God continually. There was other people who thought that it, that heaven actually consisted in being aggrandized and important. That they would get to sit there and be waited on by angels and be like rulers in this world, and that that was the greatest joy. It all gets it. What do you think really makes can make us happy? What what's the nature of the happiness you're looking for? So these people all went and they got to do it. And after about four or five days, they were going crazy. They were out of there. This is this is terrible. We 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 want out of here. And so they were let out. But this was part of the education. And you, and you think about you know you had to experience that from your, for yourself mm. to shake that notion. And then they're shown. Look. Do you want like what is the what is the actual happiness that can not just last forever but grow and evolve and get better forever that would constitute the basis for the the state of mind that you would call heaven and that is the joy of helping the joy of doing something good the joy and you could put it like this the joy of doing something for a cause if you think about if you have something you really believe in something you really want to put into the world and you love what it is and its effects, working to make that thing happen, there's an amazing level of joy there. And Swedenborg is saying that that everybody, the, the sort of, there's all kinds of joy in heaven. There is the joy of, you know, having, having good food, having good company. There's beautiful sights there and all that. But all those are tertiary. Like the, the engine that makes it run is the joy of helping. And then knowing that I'm going to—somebody who's in need, somehow I'm going to comfort them, I'm going to heal them, I'm going to serve them, I'm going to make life better. That's the thing that really motivates heaven, because that's what the divine love is. That's what God loves, is making—increasing the happiness of other people. So, uh, yeah, there, there's—the priority there, is, the foundation of heaven is, yeah, how can I—how can I do something meaningful— that, that helps. And that's part of how we can be cultivating that emotion in ourselves now. And he said that even even if you don't have uh, some kind of dream job where you're doing something that's obviously amazingly helpful to the world, you can still, in your occupation, do every stage of it faithfully, justly, with, a, with an eye to really performing a service in the public. And you can start to be cultivating that and mm. start to sort of feel that what he would call heavenly joy, even though it's, it's in a more muted form here. But, but that's, that's sort of the, the rudiments of, of the heavenly mindset that we can be growing in us now. That's awesome. Love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. I'm glad you pointed that out because we don't hear that enough. Um, along these lines, uh, I, I was listening to a show of yours recently, and you were talking about uh, how good spirits and bad spirits follow us according to the, the thoughts, the feelings, the actions that we have, that we uh, re-stimulate, and how it, it draws in the beings that correspond uh, with those, that have those loves of those actions, and they develop committees or like, you know, parties of people who are just uh, waiting for us to do these actions. And then as a result, that even like spurs us on to doing the action and doing more of it. 
Could you elaborate on so, that? Uh, yeah, of course. And and so this was the thing that was most shocking to Swedenborg. What, it, the, the, the immediacy of the interaction between his urges and desires, his thought patterns, and the spiritual world, both in, in the positive and the negative sense. Mm. But it was it became absolutely critical to his understanding of everything. And, you, you know, before I was talking about the consciousness network that we're in and him being able to have an, angelic conversation trickle down pretty directly in, into his dream life. Well, he says that, that we consciousness is, is in some senses communal in that you can actually have, uh, yeah, right, that, that principle I was talking about where what, love is what draws things together. Well, that, that's a spiritual principle, right? So it draws spirits together. We, ha- we have a spirit right now. We're in a, we've got a physical body, but we've got a spirit in it. I think that many, many traditions say that. So we're actually making those moves right now based on what we love. And mm. we can be, yeah, the more that we do something in freedom because we want to do it. So this would not be, oh, my friends like kind of pressured me into doing something I didn't want to do. Now, this is like stuff that we pursue when we're in a state of freedom. That becomes part of who we are, and it starts to gain spiritual reinforcement. There's a million parallels for this. You start to feed an animal, like a stray cat, it's going to come to your house every day. So there are there's spiritual communities that, that our spirit is kind of interacting with, and if we indulge in whatever kind, whatever kind of joy we indulge in, attracts spirits who are interested in that joy. And so you're going to start to get this reinforcing effect where— you know, they know, and I don't know, I don't want to make it sound like, it can be a little freaky, like, oh, there are always spirits peering over my shoulder, but I don't think it's quite that direct. I think it's more like they, they don't necessarily know what we're doing, where we are, we don't know what they are, but we are linked across these kind of lines, and that, that's, a, that's a conversation we could have several, several shows about, because he seems to have this whole spectrum of how aware the spiritual world is of us but in principle just to know that you you link up with people who are like you in the spirit and i think we see this you know you search for things on the internet then the next time you search there it shows those sorts of things in your search results your your algorithm is changing based on where you go on the web and where you spend your time so it is with our spiritual connection so you can have this this um to reinforcement uh of good or bad things based on where we go. But but the good news is this this revelation to Swedenborg that, that there is spiritual influence in the thoughts and feelings was his like grand tool for escaping it, you know, for getting out of the fray. And it's actually been one of the most it's the reason why I'm so gung ho about Swedenborg is the potency of this belief that you're not necessarily everything you think, and you're not necessarily everything you feel. But you can, instead of saying, well, because I because I believe this, because I kind of feel this, it's true, but instead to sort of approach it with the same kind of skepticism, when you turn on the TV and it's somebody telling you how to live and what to believe about the news cycle or something like that, especially if it's somebody that you know has a differing view than you, you're very skeptical of everything they say. And to essentially take that same skepticism and apply it to your own thoughts and feelings. And rather than just, oh, it's there, so it's true, you know, weigh it against your spiritual principles, weigh it against mm. the things that you know about life. Um, I could go on and on about that, but that 
that has been this awesome tool in gaining some leverage over because I was using it, you know, I was, I was, you know, 10 years ago or so, I was very heavily depressed and had like obsessive compulsive and all this. And I was really struggling for any way to gain leverage over the chaotic nature of my internal state. And it's not like Swedenborg was uh, a magic pill that, that got rid of everything, but it did give me this sense of like, oh, just because it feels like I feel anxious and miserable and like the world is collapsing, doesn't mean that the world really is. This mm. could just be this, you know, sort of spiritual predation you know, on me or, or this cloud of falsity. Just like when here, I know that when the sun goes down, it's going to come back up. So I don't freak out. It, it can be the same thing inside. Good point. That's awesome. Adam's got a question. I do, yeah. Thanks, Curtis, for uh, talking with us. This is a, a great pleasure. honor to talk with you, man. Um, <laughs> what, one of the videos that I watched um, that kind of came to mind when you were just talking about um, our immediate interaction with these other realms um, and our positive, negative thoughts and things, um, you talked about experiencing resistance when we do act in the things that we are joyful about and we find the things that we're passionate about. Um, that that could perhaps be our way of recognizing evil spirits, I think is the way that you put it, um, when we experience resistance to those things. Could you elaborate on that just a little bit, please? Yeah. So it seems like there's this interconnected nature to, to heaven and hell are in the mind. And I mean, connected to the mind, right? And you can have evil spirits, which, you know, evil spirits, good spirits, these are people who love destructive things or love good things. And when we try to change who we are, we set out and say, I want to do something good or I want to change, you know, we're we're going to be upsetting these relationships. And that mm. the Swedenborg described, um, yeah, if, if evil spirits have a good thing going with us, they don't want to give that up. If, they, if they're kind of feeding off of Mm. our misery or our negativity why would they want to walk away from a free lunch and he man i could i could talk forever about this he describes this whole complex struggle i mean that, that what's happening in life is sort of our spiritual rebirth where we go from the uh you know he, he says it mirrors the creation story in genesis that you go from first it's just void and darkness and this is when we're totally asleep in our ego world we're all we're thinking we don't really think about our impact on others we don't really think about the nature of our choices and what we're doing but slowly, you know, as we as we grow and pursue our spiritual path, that you know, there, there's that let there be light. When we first start to understand, wait, there's there's good and good and bad, and I I've got to try to get a handle on this. And the rest of the the story is us, you know, moving up and out of that. And there's all kinds of struggle in there. There's all kinds of battles. And what's happening is, you know, God is essentially pulling us out of all these negative connections that we have. So. Mm. The, actually, sometimes the turmoil that you can feel inside is a good sign, because it's it's like when the body has a fever and it's trying to rid itself of a pathogen. Things get all stirred up because, oh, where where the status quo is being interrupted, and so you feel this kind of internal clashes, which is like heaven, you know, going to battle on your behalf and hell not wanting to give you up. But yet we feel it in, you know, the, right, the sabotage of the good things in our life. He has this amazing uh, number about how, you know, hell wants to, can tell what you love and they want to destroy that. But wow. that's what they're going after. Uh, and to me, again, this is amazing ammunition to be able to just navigate those 
states of turmoil better. If I understand the game, because all evil and falsity go together. All the schemes in the world. You think about people who nowadays try to trick uh, elderly people out of, into donating money to something that's not real, or they try to steal your credit card information or, or sell you something that's not. It all depends on deception. It's all, it needs falsity. Evil needs falsity to be able to operate. And so it is in your mind that the only way negativity can have power over you is if it can operate clan, clandestinely, if, the, if there is a way in which it can hide. But the more you cast this light on it, which is the knowledge of what's going on, the less power it has. So it's been this amazing... It's not like I feel like I understand the inner reaches of the mind. I don't have the same kind of lucidity Swedenborg had. But just getting the rudiments of it, like I have, has been probably the most potent tool in my life for trying to navigate through the ups and downs and, and these forces that just seem to be kind of against me in my mind. So hopefully that, that relates. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds good. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Th thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you, your story is very helpful to a lot of people. Uh, it helps all of us to uh, find ways to navigate just by seeing how you have as well. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. The more, uh, emotional upheaval a person goes through in their life the more qualified or able they are to speak to the psychological issues that others are having because they've been there and so yeah. uh spiritually when we sure. go through these things i know i've had a lot of emotional turmoil and things cause you to look deeper you yeah. get deeper answers and then you come back with more profound information the wounded healer. isn't that amazing yeah. isn't that isn't that totally amazing that that it's universally uh, realized that you, out, going through hard things, you gain something from it. You know, isn't, isn't that sort of a miracle in itself? Yeah, I it think is. we were just talking about it. I forget who I just saw, so I can't quote him correctly, but said, you know, our strengths can become our weaknesses, and our weaknesses can become our strengths. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to know what you're really good at, look at what you're really bad at. Hmm. You want to know where, you know, your Achilles heel is, you know, look at where you're doing really good, you know, because that can turn right. around and bite you. Um, I guess because we're off the top of my head, you know, it's a fun subject, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, should know about this, uh, bathroom spirits. We're talking about spirits who actually derive a sense of joy from a person spending abnormally long time sitting on the toilet. This is a very specific kind of spirit, and you think, well, where are these spirits coming from? They're coming out of the woodwork. They're just, like, making themselves up. But that's a real thing Swedenborg saw. So, I it's... You couldn't find anything more bizarre than the stuff Swedenborg reports. But <laughs> the thing that the thing that, and certainly I'm sure there's you know, plenty of people who come across something like that and they're like, "Yep, he, he lost his mind." And he certainly, <laughs> when he when he um, pu started publishing these books, you know, he like I said, he was a, a a scientist and he was doing very well for for himself. And obviously, now no one's heard of him, you know, because they're, oh, this guy's off the deep end. So. Everything, you, you can't have a spiritual system that doesn't account for all of life. And that particular experience, so he's got these these spirits who are somehow when Swedenborg, I'm trying to remember exactly the, the setting in the passage, but I think it's that when Swedenborg is using the loo, there are certain spirits who just want to be in that environment. And that actually has is because of this thing I was talking before, correspondences. That if you think about, there's a Netflix series right now. There's a couple of them about serial killers. There's one about like Ted Bundy, mm -hmm. you know, and there's one about uh, BTK. These these people who 
uh, did, did these horrific things and did them over and over again. And the shocking thing always is in those that when you actually see the person, you're like, oh, they just look like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Like, how could somebody like that be, be holding this horrible stuff inside of them? Well, that's because the physical world is drawn, is governed by physical stuff. So what you're like in your thoughts and feelings and your actions doesn't show up in the way your, your body is and in the way you see yourself. But spiritually, everything, uh, you know, is what it represents. So the, the kind of desires and stuff that push people to do horrible things in, you know, you know how you had those angels talking and what they talked about fell into this Swedenborg's dream as somebody who was a, had a superficial mindset, right? Well, what do the most what do the most terrible things people can think and feel and do? What would correspond to those? It'd be the, the most disgusting stuff we know of, which some of that is excrement, right? Mm-hmm. So you have spirits who want to hang around stuff that's connected to excrement physically because they they love what you could call spiritual excrement, which is this hatred of people, vengeance, killing, all this sort of stuff, right? So you have all these all these um, spiritual things that, co- that, in a way, you could look around at the world here, and it's giving you a map of what the spiritual reality is like. And you just see the way everything is and the way that we've got to, yeah, that we, we all walk around and, and we're friendly and we can be good, but we've got to make sure we've got somewhere to dump our waste or else society would quickly collapse. So it is inside of us that we've got these good, good and true impulses, but also you've got to have a way of taking the, the negative stuff and safely disposing of it. So all of that is linked together, and it ends up with the headline, Bathroom Spirit. <laughs> wow. It sure does. At least today it does. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We don't have much time, um, uh, but I do want to ask uh, Swedenborg, did he have any uh, favorite prayers, um, any sort of uh, kind of turnkey meditations that he really harped on that you found that were most significant for him to impress on people? Man, there's, for him, oh yeah, so let's see, in his journal, he kept a journal while he was transitioning into his spiritual period, so it was initially a dream journal, which was really rare at the time, and he would actually sort of psychoanalyze his own dreams, and this was kind of before psychology, so it was, it was pretty cutting edge at the time, and he was documenting, he didn't know what he was documenting at the time, but documenting his spiritual awakening, which came with tons of this turmoil we were talking about, and a huge, he had a, he had a huge pride in his own intelligence, because he, he was mm. so accomplished and so smart, and he had to really wrestle with that, and um, and really be kind of broken down to get to where he was, because of his, his pride and everything. I, I know that he would talk about after really being through the ringer, he would say that it's best if I just cast my cares on the Lord like a little child. He used that phrase a few times, but that he went from really being feeling like he was superior to most of the human race to feeling like, no, I know God help me out. And sometimes I like to use that because when I am beset by all this negativity and depression and anxiety and everything that can really wrap you up and you don't know how to get out, Really, the way to slip through it all, it's, it's grabbing you by your sense that you need to be the one who does it all. But when you acknowledge that, oh, wait, God is going to take care of me, that's my um, life planning department, you know, patch the call through to God instead, suddenly you're not vulnerable in the same way. So that that's just one. I'm, I'm sure there's others, but mm-hmm. that's the first one that, that popped to mind. 
That's awesome. Thank you for that. I, I have uh, one thing that I want to throw out there. Um, in one of your videos, you talked about divine gravity, and I, I absolutely love that term. Um, and, and I think it, it's cool how it correlates with you. You talked about the, the physical realm that one of the main laws is, is gravity. And, um, and I love how you correlate that with what's going on in the spiritual world by saying divine gravity. Um, could you elaborate on that term just a little bit? Sure. So um, uh, the physical world is like it is because it's it's sort of like the skin or the outermost ripple of the spiritual world. So everything here is a, a reaction and a representation or almost like an echo of the spiritual world. Uh, so just like there's this, you think about the, the sun uh, keeping the earth where it needs to be, you know, and the, the, the gravity from the sun, you know, combined with the earth's velocity and everything that keeps us where we can be. And, and gravity, uh, you know, in the earth is what keeps us from flying out into space. So gravity is like the, the divine love that, that's pulling everybody as, as far into happiness as they can be. So you have divine love and wisdom, which is, is sort of the spiritual equivalent of the sun that we have here, working to always pull us in the right direction so you can even though it seems like your life is going in all these different tangents and and why did the cereal box fall and why isn't this thing happening that i was thinking needed to happen for me to be a success in life and why does it feel like i'm going backwards but but what we don't realize is that actually that is divine gravity pulling us along the right paths to get where we need to go even if we don't know where that destination is the divine does know, and that's you can trust that that's always pulling you in the right direction. You know, that reminds me of something that I, uh, a Swedenborg, so he talks about how if somebody wants to uh, be with somebody else, the most expeditious way or the faster that they're going to show up is is really like how in accord they are with this other person. So the more they love yeah. this other person, the faster they appear. Hmm. The less of the love, the you know, the longer the journey to them. The more they're out of accord, the further the distance. And so it, it really is about the inner life, uh, yeah. you know, dictating things. There's no buffer. There's no, you know, ego, fakeism or anything like that. You're just either in accord or you're out of accord. And that sets your, right. your uh, coordinates in the uh, spiritual world. It's beautiful. Well, Curtis, it's been an honor, a pleasure, and uh, I will continue to watch your show. And hopefully uh, some more people will, too, because it's amazing. Um, and we really appreciate you, uh, coming on with us today and uh, we'll have all your information for the show and everything posted on our Facebook page. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? I just, thanks so much. I really, really enjoyed getting to have this conversation with you and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you hopefully soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Curtis. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah. All right. So we only have, uh, a couple minutes left. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking with Jürgen Zerwi. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He lives over there in, I think he's in London right now. Hmm. And he's written books uh, called Multidimensional Man, Vistas to Infinity. And this guy, not unlike Swedenborg, through the cultivating of a dream life with a dream journal and in conjunction with meditation, uh, began entering into spiritual realities um, some time ago. I'm not even sure how long it's been. It's been a long time. Um, and uh, he also is a computer animator. So he started to work on an Oculus program so he could create a three-dimensional virtual reality walkthrough. 
Well, that project stalled, unfortunately, but I did see some of the animations he started, and they were pretty cool. So we'll be talking to him next week. Um, And uh, also, I think next week we should talk a bit about the Christ, the light bearer, and Archangel Michael. Okay? Because these three uh, characters, beings, are uh, intimately uh, connected. Light bearer being Lucifer, Archangel... Michael, some believing it's a manifestation of Christ or the face of Christ. Lucifer being equated with Christ, uh, Jesus's brother. And that, it took me a long time to chew over because I had a lot to learn from the theosophical school of thought. How, how could you say something like this? Well, what is the light bearer? What is the Christ? What is the you know, divine wisdom that Lucifer originally had? And what is the difference between Lucifer and Satan? They're not the same being. Most of us don't know that, and it is important to know. So we're going to broach those um, pulse-raising topics next week. So follow and like us on Facebook. Go to newpreset.com. Find awesome lectures there. Contact us. Give us your ideas, questions, comments, concerns. And email me at robert at newpreset.com. You can check out the work that I'm doing in the world at uh, 3dayflight.com. You can hear one of our songs playing right now. Um, You can hear more at 3dayflight.com. And also, my wife and I have a cafe here in Memphis called Imagine Vegan Cafe, imaginevegancafe.com. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Everybody have a great day. The Mid-South Station with the most local talk and CBS News at the top of every hour. KWAM Memphis.